Welcome to the inaugural season of For the Win, a USC Annenberg Media podcast on sports and storylines. I'm your producer, Eddie Sun, and now here are your hosts. Welcome back to another episode of For the Win, and it is a big one. We have big stories in Major League Baseball this week with the Dodgers winning. We've got big things going on in the NFL and lots of talk in the NBA as well. My name is Skylar Treppel, and I am joined by the incredible Dylan, Jordan, and Paris. Guys, let's lead off with the Los Angeles Dodgers winning the World Series. After the death of Kobe Bryant, the ultimate championship mentality, the city of Angels is making their comeback. What do we think about this? What does this Dodgers championship mean for Los Angeles? My God, wow. We finally have a year where the Dodgers don't choke in the World Series. They don't choke in the playoffs. They are notorious for this. I guess it only took them signing a multi-million dollar deal to Mookie Betts to finally get that missing piece and Dave Roberts can finally go to sleep at night and uh, and, and actually uh, feel like he, he completed what he started. I'm so happy for this Dodgers team. I mean, um, watching this team from the start of uh, for the past years it, it's been unbelievable seeing the ride that they've taken and uh, honestly I'm just happy for Clayton Kershaw that he was finally able to just walk home with with a World Series title despite his uh notoriously horrible uh playoff starts every time he's made it to the playoffs um I think that that it's it's a solid icing on the cake for for what has been an amazing career for him and, and for this Dodgers team yeah I mean to Dylan's point uh, we all know the Dodgers have been without a World Series championship for 32 years, but coming off the past five seasons where they've been so close time after time, I it's it's really reassuring to see them um, finally pull it out and to see Clayton Kershaw, um, a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher, one of the gr- greatest pitchers of all time, finally get his ring. Um, you know, it was just a great thing to see. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I saw... Um, I'm a, I'm a baseball fan, but I'm not as meticulous in terms of following it. But, uh, I saw a a really cool stat that showed that the past five winners of the World Series, um, actually knocked out the Dodgers. So, um, it kind of shows just how tough the road's been the past couple years for the Dodgers. And, um, this time around, it was their turn to, to host the World Series trophy. And it's great for the City of Angels. I mean, you guys said it so perfectly. It's their time. All of the contributing factors just worked out. And with the backdrop of the Lakers winning the championship as well, I mean, LA is having a really good time. There were even (laughs) some things. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I'm on cloud nine right now. There are even some things going around social media, you know, saying it was like preordained because now the Lakers have 17 championships. The Dodgers now have seven World Series wins. And 17 plus 7 means 24, so. Mamba. <laughs> Mamba. It's a Mamba well, year. Let's just even talk about that, uh, That of course, the years that, that all these uh, teams are winning, uh, you can't necessarily celebrate in person, which is such a shame, too, because this would be one hell of a party in L.A. right now. No doubt, no doubt. Not that it Especially. isn't. Not that it isn't, but... Yeah. You know, yeah people, <laughs> people, but, people are finding people a way. wild. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're still going. Just not just not necessarily safety. So, uh, <laughs> not necessarily safely. So, 
We'll see. I, I love it with the Dodgers. Mookie Betts is one of the most exciting players, not just in baseball, but around the world of sports right now. Uh, LeBron is in Los Angeles. Anthony Davis on the come up. It is an exciting time. And abs- couldn't agree with you guys more. Clayton Kershaw, this solidifies him. This legitimizes him as that great, all-time great pitcher. It reminds me a little bit of Alex Ovechkin with the Stanley Cup. Scores a whole bunch of goals. Catching up on Wayne Gretzky. Gets that cup. He's legitimately a great player. And I feel like that's very similar to Kershaw. Speaking of the safe celebrations, though... Justin Turner, man, what are you doing? The guy tests positive for COVID-19, pulled out of the game, and he is on the field celebrating. I think professional athletes are some of the most underratedly intelligent people in the world, greatest at what they do, and have so much to do to get to where they are. But this was a bonehead, selfish move. I mean, managers with with health issues or uh, cancer, some of them, who have overcome it, it's... What do you guys think of this with Justin Turner? So first, let me let me before I go into my my take on his celebration antics and all that. I want to say that um, all the credit and all respect to Justin Turner, because um, as a lifelong Mets fan, I watched him uh, help the Mets for so many years and then work his way over to Los Angeles. And he's done so much for the community out here in Los Angeles. And he's been through the whole ride with this Dodgers team before they were making it to the world series uh practically every year um and and i have to give that guy so much credit as as a leading figure for that team who's literally been through the ups and downs and when i was talking earlier about clayton you know um you know having that icing on the cake for his career i feel like out of all the players on this dodgers roster justin's the one who deserved it the most and and i'm really happy for him that being said what happened on the field during the world series with the (laughs) celebration I'm sorry, outside of just bad optics, what the hell are you thinking, man? What are you thinking? Allegedly, I read up on the story, so the MLB compliance sent down a security guard to escort him off the uh, out of the dugout, and his reaction, um, and, and please, do, uh, if I misquote this, uh, please back me up here, but he says, I'm going the F out there, and I'm going to celebrate with my team. And that's what he did, and he went out there, and um, was it selfish? Absolutely. Um, and it's just a horrible look. And I think it's kind of getting pushed under the rug right now. And I'm praying for the sake of everyone else on that team that they're all uh, safe and celebrating safe and healthy right now. But um, what yeah, a I terrible think- move. I, I think they're all in quarantine right now. So they all flew home. Yeah. Justin Turner and his wife had to take a private jet home, <laughs> which isn't so bad, I guess. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned the security guard escorting him off the field. I'm just like, was nobody like watching him? And <laughs> what happened? No, he it's literally really said, tough. I'm going out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that is really tough. I mean, it's a tough situation to critique someone who does test positive for this virus but then the decisions they make afterwards right that's what we can critique yeah i mean mean, absolutely sorry jordan go ahead no worries no no i think all of you guys hit it right on the head um it was a bonehead move i guess from his perspective i can sort of relate to it because this is him reaching the apex of his career and wanting to celebrate with his team and probably you know, his mindset is, you know, I've been around these guys for, their, you know, the past couple of weeks in close proximity anyways. So um, what what's a little celebrating going to do? But 
from a PR perspective, no, it's it's definitely not a good look. But um, you know, I I can kind of I can kind of understand his case, but definitely during this time, everyone's got to sacrifice a little bit, even if that means celebrating a coveted win. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's interesting timing too because he and a couple other Dodgers are going to be free agents next year, so. I'm kind of curious if that was a hint to him thinking that this is his last year with the Dodgers. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other angle. <laughs> he's and, he's leaving know. more than a legacy around the team. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do. It does make me rethink. Of course, he was a champion and wanted to go celebrate with his teammates. But again, we all, as Jordan said, have to make sacrifices right now so shout out to the Dodgers bit of a boneheaded move and speaking of controversy with champions let's talk about a team the Dodgers are trying to become a dynasty let's talk about a team who was a dynasty that broke up Brady and Belichick Brady has been absolutely ripping it up the Patriots are not looking as good and this brings up the question that everyone was asking was it Belichick or was it Brady what do you guys think? Who was responsible for the Patriots dynasty? As we oh, see you guys know I just love talking about Brady. Um, <laughs> I admit, <laughs> I admit, you know, he's he's doing amazing uh, compared to what we saw the last couple seasons with the Pats. He's rejuvenated. He's won the, you know, player of the month. He's killing it. Honestly, they have amazing stats going on for the Bucks. Um, he's supposed to have AB starting with him any moment now. And I think, you know, whatever, politics aside, I think playing-wise, that's really going to help him. Um, but in terms of him and Belichick, I mean, I would say the dynamic duo of those two, Belichick, it, between him and Belichick, it's looking like Brady held up most of that, looking at the Pats' performance. Um, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I would say, so looking at... The Patriots dynasty. A lot of people want to group all six Super Bowls into one, but sort of like the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls six championships. I think you got to look at each of them in their respective uh, three. Uh, each of them in two categories: the first three Super Bowls and the second three Super Bowls. So when we look at like the first three Super Bowls, um, Tom Brady was obviously a great quarterback, but he wasn't necessarily asked to be that elite caliber player. You know, he only threw for um, over 4,000 yards uh, once over those three Super Bowls and over 30, and he never threw for over 30 touchdowns in any season over those three Super Bowls. Um, and I think that's mainly to do with the culmination of all the great coaches that Bill Belichick was able to take under his wing for those three Super Bowls. You know, whether it be Bill O'Brien, um, you know, just to name one. Um, but once those protégés that I mentioned before um, from those three Super Bowls went and left, I think that's when we saw a lot more of the responsibility of leading the team put on Brady. Um, and after doing so, that's when we got to see him with Randy Moss, with Wes Welker, with Julian Edelman, with Gronk. And that's when he kind of took the reins as being the face of the team, whereas before I kind of felt like the coaching staff. And, of course, you know, they had an amazing defense with Willie McGinnis and Asante Samuels, um, uh, Teddy Bruschi. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. He had a 
he had a Hall of Fame defense backing him up for those first three. Um, whereas I look at those second three Super Bowls where Tom Brady was really the catalyst. So um, I'm going to have to to agree and disagree with, with you guys in the sense that I don't think that we can pin it on just one of them who is responsible. I have to say, hands down, it has to be both of them combined because we are seeing right now how they are doing on their own in their individual spaces right now. It's the breakup that people didn't want to see happen, but it was bound, you know, it's like you hate to see him go, but you love to watch him leave, right? So, like, we knew it was going to happen with Tom Brady that – uh, he was going to be leaving the uh, the uh, Patriots, and, and my um, my take on it is that their their synergy over uh, in the Belichick uh, Brady era is is that uh, they both relied on each other more than anything, and, and it's becoming clearly evident right now with how Brady's doing in Tampa, and and with Cam Newton uh, now running the the Patriots offense. Um, I mean, listen. Don't get me wrong. If Brady's able to pull one out now that he's got AB and he's got Ronald Jones doing a decent job down there, like he's got a little bit of support um, um, now in the running game. But uh, if he is able to to take home a championship in um, in in Tampa, then maybe I'll, I'll open up this discussion again to say, okay, I, I think this was all Brady. Uh, but as of right now, uh, my my take is that the two relied on each other. Like they they went. Uh, they were a nice balance of yin and yang, and, and there's no other way to describe it. But Dylan, you're saying how good Brady is. And Jordan, man, you bring up some interesting points as far as that first dynasty. I think we have to look at era, though. People were not regularly passing. Like, great quarterbacks were not passing for more than 4,000 yards. 4,000 yards is barely even an, an achievement now. Um, but So it, it wasn't all Brady, of course. But if we're talking about... Who was more responsible? Because I heard a lot of people say Belichick over the years. I'm sticking with Tom Brady. He just won Player of the Month in the NFC, as Paris pointed out, beating out Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. This dude is 43 years old right now. The Bucks are 5-2. The Patriots are 2-5. and five. Brady leaves. And Belichick just announced that he is leaving anyone on the table to be traded according to Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated. This means they're, they're, they're searching for answers as soon as Brady goes. And they're two and five. Look, I love Cam Newton, 2015. Amazing, amazing with the Carolina Panthers. But that magic is not there. Belichick cannot recreate that magic with any quarterback. And they're off their worst start since Tom Brady made his first pass in 2000. What I want to say here is... Brady was never just a system QB, which is a criticism that was said over and over and over again. He is the GOAT. He's 43. He's doing things we've never seen. And if he gets that Super Bowl this year, as I predicted earlier on the show, we need to think about him in the pantheon of athletes with MJ. I think he's surpassing. Um, I think he's really surpassing that old criticism with Belichick. I think it's clear Look, they both won more Super Bowls than any other franchise on their own. Six compared to five by the Steelers and the Cowboys. And I think we really need to take a good look at that. I think Tom Brady is showing that he was more, more responsible. Not entirely, but more responsible than Belichick for those championships. Um, with that, we've talked baseball. We've talked football. 
So let's get into it with the NBA. They're talking about a December 22nd start. There's pushback from the players and players are saying MLK Day. What do you guys think about the next NBA season restart? I think the all right. So out of all the professional sports leagues that that created um, uh, the NBA bubble, uh, the bubble uh, system and and that created um, a a smooth and seamless uh, plan back to return to play. I think the NBA handled it the best out of any uh, out of any league that but also to that point. Um, they gave it their all for this past season to get that finished. And I think right now they are scrambling to figure out when they're going to be playing this next season because they know right now this is prime time to get back into it. This would be, the season would be uh, right around now. They'd be starting up again. Um, I understand if I'm a player, I haven't seen my family in how no, how no long they've been, they were in the NBA bubble for months, uh, especially if you're a team like the Lakers and the Heat who, who were there from the beginning. Um, I would not want to jump right back into work a, a, a couple of months after just finishing losing or winning a championship. I think players are going to come back in, in horrible form. And also, um, um, I think the NBA just doesn't doesn't know what they're doing right now. Uh, yeah, I, I get what they're I, – I understand it. In, in a perfect world, yeah, by all means, start it in December. But you're going to tell me that players aren't going to get injured and, and uh, we've seen players come forward uh, with their mental health issues like uh, Kevin Love and, and we saw Paul George in the bubble talking about his mental health. You're going to tell me one month's break after being isolated in Orlando, Florida is going gonna, is gonna to help you out? I don't think so. Yeah, I agree with you, Dylan. I don't think it would be a smart move on terms of the not only the players' performance, but more importantly, their health and moving forward on that. I think if the NBA were to start in December, that would be insane, and the flack they would receive would be very telling. I would be super surprised if they started that soon. I mean, it's been such a special year, to say the least, uh, in general, but in terms of NBA they played for a whole year. I mean, yes, there were some gaps. Yes, there were special circumstances, but the amount of stress that they had to face, they need more time. <laughs> now, this this situation really reminds me of like the 2011 situation that the NBA found itself in with the with the lockout, of course. You know, like we spoke about, they started in December. Obviously, that's a little bit too much to ask of the players in this instance. Um, but I mean, whenever the season does start, I think you're going to have to condense the season. I think that's a no-brainer just so we can get back on track because if you decide to play 82-game season, we're going to find ourselves in the same position where these calendars are screwed up. So um, whether that looks like maybe a 50-game season or even maybe like a college basketball um, season where you play maybe 30 games, I don't know what it's going to look like. Thankfully, the NBA, you can kind of tell who – the really good teams are before the season starts. I mean, there's always that one or two teams that like come out of nowhere, like the Miami Heat did this year. But I don't think we need necessarily 82 games to see who where the teams rank amongst themselves. And in terms of the playoffs, I think it'd be interesting potentially. I know back um, before I was a basketball fan, the first round of the playoffs was a best of five game series where the first to three would win. I'd be interested to see if the NBA takes that route for maybe the first series or maybe even the second series just to just for the players' sake um, to kind of take the load off of them because a lot of, a lot of teams sweep other teams in the first round anyways. I don't see why um, 
except for maybe this year, like the the Jazz and Nuggets series. But I don't see why taking an approach like that would would be a bad idea. So it'll be interesting to see. That's really interesting. No, no doubt. Like, honestly, I would love to see the NBA back as early as Christmas Day, have that fun schedule as a fan. But I don't think it makes sense. They were just in the bubble. Craziest year of their lives. LeBron's talking about sitting out the first month. Like, who's really going to want to watch that? Because as we know, LeBron can often set the tone. I think it is too soon to come back. I've heard from the NBA Players Association what they've had to say that they're going to lose a lot of money, uh, a lot of money if they, if they start in January rather than December. But at the end of the day, you got to put the player's mental and physical health your number one priority here. And that's also how you're going to get the bat, the best basketball out of them physically and mentally. And hopefully we can recreate something like the bubble and all of the excitement that was there because that was just unbelievable stuff. So maybe they'll have a bubble. Maybe they'll have a regional bubble. I don't think they can do a full bubble again. Uh, my guess is from what I've been reading is that they are trying to do uh just essentially what the MLB did where it's you're playing your regular season in an empty stadium because um, I, I really don't see a situation currently where you could allow fans in, into an enclosed space yeah. like that at all. Um, so to your point, though, about the NBA losing a lot of money, my belief here is that they are going uh, – they really are pushing for that Christmas game is really at the end yeah. of the day what they want because the, the Christmas game over the past few years has become a, a huge – uh, and for some reason, a pivotal role in the NBA season where we see some of the biggest matchups, but also Christmas Day, it's become, um, you know, one in the two that you, you crowd around the TV and you watch uh, NBA on, on ABC and, and you watch the games. And, and that's, uh, I think they're they're really pushing for that so they could get that. But if they take that loss, then they're going to have to take that loss because this right now just seems way too much like a force and, and not something that they should be doing. I'm going to miss the NBA on Christmas Day. Let's go around the horn real quick here. As they say on ESPN, when do we think the NBA should restart? I don't think the NBA should restart till at least February. But that being said, then we're going to have a really weird, weird, strange uh, NBA calendar after that because then they're going to constantly just be trying to play catch up. So I think realistically, they should just set precedent and put in set, uh, put in January. But I mean, personally, if I want, if I was a player, I would want to start in February. I think January would be a good middle ground between players and the NBA to get what they want, as well as to work on getting back on track. I mean, I think we've said this before. It's going to take a long time just to even get back to normal. Yeah, I'm going to go agree with Paris on this one. Um, finding that middle ground. Um, ultimately, I feel like the Players Association and the NBA will, they love to play basketball. The NBA loves to have a great product out there. So I, I think they'll shoot for mid-January um, rather than starting later. Wow, lots of agreements here. I agree as well. I like the January uh, Martin Luther King Day start, especially when you think of the bubble and the social justice initiatives that they are pushing. I think that sends a nice message as well. Man, I'm going to miss the NBA on Christmas Day if that doesn't happen. But I care more about these players. I care more about the league. And I care more about what they stand for. And I think Martin Luther King Day is that nice middle ground that sends a wonderful message. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We are out of time today. Thank you, Dylan, Paris, Jordan, and for being on the show. 
And remember to always do it for the win. Thanks for listening to For the Win, 